Amen. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. And we're going to begin reading in verse 13. I want to share a message entitled, Turn the Key. Turn the Key. Matthew chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say, Thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven." And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. Uh, we're thankful that we can know that we're saved and we're going to heaven. And Lord, we're thankful that we can have a message that we can share with people of real hope, and Lord, a uh, message that changes people's lives. And uh, Lord, I just prayed you'd speak to us in a special way this morning that we might understand uh, the great opportunities that you put before us, and Lord, the great responsibility that we have to seize those opportunities for the glory of God. I would pray if there's someone here this morning who's not saved, uh, that you would speak to their hearts, Lord, that they might come and receive Christ as their personal Savior. And we'll rejoice with them, Lord. We'll rejoice with the heavens and, and angels of heaven uh, if one sinner would just repent. And so, Lord, bless the preaching of the Word of God this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verses, verse 19, says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Turn the key. Uh, you came here this morning in your car, you wouldn't be able to do that if you didn't turn the key. So the car would start to get you here. And we have an obligation, responsibility from Jesus to turn the key of salvation to people, the way of salvation to people. Jesus has questioned his disciples in this passage in regards to how do men see him or who do they conclude that Jesus Christ really is. Now the response was varied because in verse 14, the disciples said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, and, or one of the prophets. And so the response is varied about who's, uh, uh, who Jesus Christ is, really is. And if you were to talk to people today, uh, you'd get a varied response if you asked them, who is Jesus? And uh, what is our responsibility or our obligation to God because of what Christ did for us and uh, what he accomplished for us? Uh, you'd get a multitude of different answers and different responses. And so it was no different in the day of Christ. And so he wants his disciples to uh, face the reality of what people's idea are, are, what their ideas are about who he is. And so the response was varied. 
the P Peter's response was very personal, and the, the response of the disciples was to be very personal, because in verse 15, he responds, he saith unto them, but whom uh, say ye that I am? And so he's, he wants to know what their perception is of what other people are saying about him, but whoa, wait a minute, let's put it on a personal plane here. Who do you say that I am? And the reality is every one of us have to be, must be able to identify who Jesus Christ is personally to us. And is he your savior? Is he just a good man in your mind? Is he just like one of the prophets of old? Uh, does he just kind of fit into a pattern of a religious leader? Or is he truly the Christ, the Messiah, the savior of the world? And so who do you say that he is? So very personal position. The conclusion of Peter was astounding to the disciples and to Jesus, because in verse 16, Peter, Simon Peter, answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so he was amazing that the conclusion that he comes to, Jesus identifies it as being experienced by divine revelation. Because in verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, there was a divine revelation of revealing, if you will, in the heart of Peter exactly who Jesus Christ was. And uh, every one of us have to declare who Christ is. And certainly it is the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God that impresses on our hearts that we are lost and on our way to hell because of our sin but Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, came into this world to die that we might be forgiven and cleansed of all of our sin, that we might have the hope of eternal life in heaven. And so that comes by divine revelation. That doesn't, you don't experience that by human manipulation. You experience it through divine revelation. And a man can come up with all kinds of ways and all kinds of ideas about how we ought to be right with God, but God impresses with conviction on our hearts that we are a sinner that is lost and on our way to hell. Then Jesus declares in verse 18, I'm going through this because I want you to see the context in which Jesus is revealing these things to us. Notice in verse 18, Jesus declares the foundation of the church. He says, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, literally means a little stone. And he said, and upon this rock, which means a huge stone. So Jesus is referencing Peter as being a small stone and acknowledging himself as being the cornerstone. He said, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church in the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. So he declares what the foundation of the church is. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. It's not a denominational experience. It's not a religious experience. It's not a group that is moving or trends that are quote unquote in religion. It is Jesus Christ who is the foundation of the church. And then after that, he goes in and tells Peter, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, if in the context he wants him to know who he is, and in the context he's dealing with he's the foundation of the church, then when he talks about the keys of heaven, it's in reference to the church. He doesn't change the subject here. And so the keys that he's talking about giving to Peter 
is in reference to the church. Uh, John Gill, in his exposition of the Bible commentary, said this, By the kingdom of heaven, he meant the gospel, which comes from heaven. The keys of it are abilities to open and explain the gospel truths and a mission and commission from Christ to make use of them. And so Jesus is in the context wanting them to declare and understand who he is and that upon him is the very foundation of all that the church, the body of Christ, will be. And then he says, you have the keys. I'm giving you the keys to heaven. I'm giving you the keys to the gospel. I'm giving you the keys on understanding the authority and the aspect of the operation of the church. And that keys that are given are communicated in a clear way, not just to Peter, but to those that would follow after him. The keys constitute the government of the church. Is here expressed by the delivering of the keys and with them a power to bind and loose. It is through the church of Jesus Christ that we have the opportunity, the power, and the authority to open up the gospel to people that they might be saved. And we, we, you got to turn the key in order to get people to come in to the church. They come into the church through faith in Jesus Christ, who is their Savior. But they cannot make a decision for Christ if someone has not opened the door for the opportunity for them to come to Christ. And so it was a universal promise not to be understood in any particular power that Peter had, but rather that it was invested in all the apostles and their successors with a ministerial power to guide and govern the church. The church functions today because Christ gave the keys to heaven to the leaders of the church. God gave the keys of heaven to those of us that are believers in Christ. The Bible tells us very clearly that we are priests unto our God. Revelation chapter 5 in verse 10 says, It has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth. I think we have forgotten the reality that God has established his church upon Jesus Christ to reign and to rule. He has established his church on this earth as a means, as an organization to open the door of opportunity that people might be saved. He has granted to us the opportunity to have the keys. He only, the only keys that he put into Peter's hands were the first keys because he was the first one to exercise that opportunity. We see that in Acts chapter 10. You can turn over to Acts 10. We'll be coming back to this passage. But in Acts chapter 10, we read of Peter going into Cornelius' house. That was unheard of. Peter was a Jew. Cornelius was a Gentile. There was nothing more defiling to a Jew than to go and sit down and eat with a Gentile. In Acts chapter 10, in verse 28, says, And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company, or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And Peter had an opportunity to exercise the keys 
to heaven when he went into Cornelius' house because he did something that was not proper. He did something that was not accepted. He did something that was life-changing. And that was he brought the gospel message to a people and a nation that were not his people or his nation. And listen, it wasn't a good response. Look over in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, in verse 1, it says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision, that's a Jew, contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and did eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the manner from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them. And then as he goes into the description of what he experienced when God gave him a vision that he was to take and eat things that were unclean. And Peter said, no, I'm not going to eat of that. I don't touch those things. I don't eat those things. And God referred to Peter and told him and said, listen, you do not call something unclean that I have declared that it is clean. And Peter learned a valuable message that that was a message or opportunity to take the gospel to a people who were not his people. And when you talk about turning the key, we're talking about we taking on the responsibility of opening the way of the gospel to people that we might not be comfortable with, people that we might not be accepted of. Taking the gospel and preaching it to people in ways that, yeah, the brethren back in the church might get upset about. I'm talking about turning the key so somebody can find out who Jesus Christ is. Peter gave, God, uh, Jesus gave Peter the keys to heaven that he might use them and open the door of the gospel. And Peter went into the house of Cornelius and made the way clear so that the Gentile could be saved. Hallelujah that you and I have that same responsibility and opportunity to take the keys of heaven and open the gospel to a multitude of people. So first of all, I see this. Back at our text, it's a future possibility, this matter of the keys to heaven. Notice in verse 19, Jesus said, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Notice he did not say unto him, I have given the keys to you. He said, I will give them to you. He did not say, I do now give you the keys to heaven. He said that he would do it later. He would give it to him later. He's revealing to Peter at this point in his life on this earth that there was a greater opportunity that Peter would be able to experience because when Jesus would die, we buried and rise again. And he would, before he would send up on heaven, uh, he would give to Peter and the other apostles the key to open up the gospel to lands and peoples that they would never have thought of talking to or speaking to. And so Matthew Henry said, he states, he doth not say, I have given them, or I do now, but I will do it, meaning that after his resurrection, when he ascended on high, he would receive the kingdoms, uh, the keys of heaven. And so we have a future possibility. Uh, we have to look at ourselves as instruments of grace that God can use tomorrow in reaching somebody for Christ. Somebody needs to hear the gospel this afternoon. 
Somebody could drop dead this afternoon and they need to hear who Jesus Christ is that they might be saved. God has given you and he has granted to me the keys of heaven so that we might open the door of the gospel. It's a future possibility. Notice he gave instruction. According to Acts chapter 1, when Jesus arose out of the grave and he met with his disciples in Acts 1 and verse 2 and 3, says, unto the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus, when he rose out of the grave, he didn't just sit around for a time of fellowship with his apostles and the disciples, but rather he took that time as he was on this earth before his ascension into heaven to sit down and give instruction to them concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Now, Christians, I want you to know this. We need, need to have more instruction of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God than we need instruction of the things of this world. We need to be aware of the fact that the keys that God has given us can only be used as we understand the power and the might and the opportunity that God gives us to open the door for people to be saved. So he gave them instruction. Notice he gave them power. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, there's a lot of people go around talking about the Holy Spirit of God, but they wouldn't go across the street and tell somebody how to be saved. Let me tell you, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God if you don't have a burden for the lost. You're not filled with the power of the Spirit of God just to walk around and flaunt and boast about the moving of the Spirit in your life. God gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to reach out and exercise the keys of heaven to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have the key, the opportunity of getting the power of God. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 4, Paul says, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful this morning that we can know that we're saved and we can know that we have the keys of heaven because of the power of God rest upon us. And because his spirit fills us and empowers us, we can be a witness, not just here, but in our neighborhoods and around the world. And so let's exercise the future possibilities of the power of God being released so people might be saved. You know, Jesus called his disciples for one reason. That was to fulfill his great commission. And they were to go and preach the gospel to every creature. How would they do that? Because they have the keys of heaven. Turn the key. Turn the key. Not only did he give them instruction, but he gave them power and he gave them opportunity. Now, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, how can the gospel go from the Jew to the Greek if we don't open the door of opportunity? How can the gospel go from the Jew to the Greek if we're not willing to not acknowledge the fact that God has given us the keys to heaven? 
I'm going to tell you, nobody had the key to heaven to tell me how to be saved until I heard the gospel preached to me. And I'll tell you, God unlocked my heart. God set me free. God changed my life. And I'm going to tell you, God gives us opportunity to be able to talk about his grace and reach out to others. In Romans chapter 2, in verse 9, chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Listen, every man and woman and boy and girl on the face of this earth lives an immoral, ungodly, lost life until the key of heaven unlocks their heart that they might be saved and forgiven and delivered. I'll tell you right now, there's somebody who's going to die today and going to spend an eternity in hell. If the rapture was to take place today, if you're here in this church and you're not saved and the rapture was to take place, you'll be left behind. You'll be left behind and you'll take the mark of the beast and you'll spend an eternity in hell. I'm telling you, when the key turns, that's the opportunity to receive Christ as our Savior. I want you to know, saints of God, God gives you opportunities every day to unlock the mysteries of heaven. He gave instruction and power and opportunity, but he also he gave gifts. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, in uh, verse 8, Paul helps us understand these gifts that God has given to us. He says, wherefore he saith, when he, uh, when, when he ascended up on high and led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. See, Jesus told Peter, he said, I'm going to give you the keys to heaven. And when I give you the keys to heaven, I want you to know you have a future possibility of being able to open the door, open the way for man to be saved. And then you see in Ephesians 4 and 11, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. That's the gifts that God gives to the church. That's the gifts that God gives to the church. Then in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, the future possibility was, hey, uh, uh, Peter, you're going to get the keys to heaven and not just to you, but everybody that comes down in leadership uh, after you will have the opportunity to open up the doors of heaven. You know, Joseph was over the house of Pharaoh. And in Psalm 105 and verse 21, says in reference to Joseph and uh, Pharaoh, he made him lord of his house and ruler over all his substance. And here it is, to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his senators wisdom. Now God, listen, God has given us the keys of heaven so that we might rule and be stewards and care for all the things that he has given to us. And yes, I'm going to tell you, either you're going to loose people's hearts to heaven or you're going to close your mouth and not open the door of opportunity to where their hearts are bound for the torments of hell. Isaiah chapter 11 in verse 22 tells us that Elikim uh, had the keys of the house of David. And, uh, and it tells us a little bit about what that means in Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22. 
says, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. He's talking about Elohim. So he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and no none shall open. See, God has given us as an example, Elohim had the responsibility, he had the key to the house of David. And when he locked the door, nobody opened that door. When he unlocked the door, nobody could shut that door. I just know this, that God has told us we need to turn the key of heaven. Because, listen, when you don't unlock the door, people can't get saved. When you don't unlock the opportunity for them to hear the gospel, they won't get saved. And so, Peter, you're getting the keys to heaven. And whatever you're going to bind on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. And whatever you loosen on earth, it'll be loosed in heaven. So there's a future possibility. I see there's a present reality. He says here, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's future. Then he goes on in our text and says, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's a present reality. Whatsoever thou shalt. Do you understand your action or lack of reaction does determine whether somebody gets set free or not? He says, you're, you're responsible for that, Peter. I'm going to give you the keys to heaven. So I realize with those keys, here comes the responsibility. In all reality, whatever you do, that's going to be the outcome. And so the key, we have the keys of heaven. I believe in the key of doctrine. And when we talk about the key of doctrine, we're talking about the key of knowledge. Uh, Matthew Henry said this, Your business shall be to explain to the world the will of God, both as to truth and duty. And for this you shall... Have your commissions, credentials, and full instruction to bind and loose. And so the key of doctrine, what we believe. We're living in an era, and it's been going on for several years now, uh, that where people just say, you don't need to have any doctrine. You don't need to have any body of beliefs. You don't need to have anything that you hold to, just as long as we love each other. And I'm going to tell you, when you take that position, you're locking the reality of being able to go into eternity secure with the reality of all God has done for us. We have an obligation and responsibility to teach people what the Word of God says. We have the key to open up doctrine. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. But what does God say? That's what matters. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We don't change people by trying to sway them and manipulate them. People get saved because we tell them the truth of what the word of God has to say. I was listening to a preacher uh, preaching on the radio a while ago. And he was talking about when he was a young man. He was a Christian. He was in the army. And uh, he said this, he said, uh, uh, we were, of course, you were in the barracks, and he said, I had a fellow that came in and was stationed with me, and he said, I'm going to tell you right now, I heard about you. I heard all about you. I heard about you being a Christian and how you try to get everybody converted. He said, I'm telling you right now, right up front, I don't want nothing to do with any of that stuff. I'm telling you right now, don't, don't go preaching to me what you believe and all that, because I don't want to hear it. 
Don't you even talk to me about your God or your religion. He said, okay, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I won't, I won't share a thing with you. And a few days went by, a week or so went by, and he was in a memory verse program. And he told, went to this guy that was unsaved, who said, I want to hear nothing about God. He went to him and said, can I talk to you for anything? He said, I told you before, I don't want to hear nothing about your God. He said, I don't want you to talk about my God. He said, I just, I'm in a memory, scripture memory program. I was wondering if you could help me by listening to me say my verses to make sure I'm saying them right. <laughs> he said, I picked all the salvation verses to start with. And he said, I went through that memory verse. He said, this guy started quoting the verses better than I was quoting the verses. And he said this. He said about 20 years later, he got a call from this guy that he was in the service with. He said, you know what? I know the dirty, rotten trick you pulled on me. <laughs> he said, but I want you to know I trusted Christ as my Savior. So thanks a lot for tricking me. Amen. The key of doctrine, the key of the word of God. You hold, you hold this book in your hand. You hold this book in your heart. And the only way that book's going to come out of you into somebody else, you got to unlock the key. You got to open the way that they might come to know who Jesus Christ is. Uh, notice they have a key of preaching in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 and verse 45 you know, as Paul began his ministry and his uh, missions trips in Acts chapter 16. Uh, where am I at? No, I'm not. Acts 13, 45. Here we go. It says, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. I'm going to tell you right now, you start getting people saved, people are going to get mad at you. It's my goal for this church to knock on every door in Tom's River before our 40th wed uh, wedding anniversary. Good night. <laughs> our 40th anniversary. Amen. My wife and Ori passed that one, so. I'll guarantee you somebody's going to get mad. You go out knocking on doors and somebody's going to call here. Where you at, Bev? Get ready to answer the phone. Amen. We're going to stir up the community. They're going to be yelling and hollering at you. That's all right. The Lord loves you. You'll be all right. The key is preaching. And when we preach, it says that the Jews saw the multitudes. They were filled with envy and spake against those which spoke what were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. <laughs> I love it. And said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it far I'm sorry to see that you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Life, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. That's why the Bible says when you knock on the door and they won't receive you, kick the dust off your feet. Go to the next door. I remember years ago I was witnessing, I was talking to this Jehovah Witness woman. I mean, she was going on and we were, I mean, we were debating. We were going round and round and we were going on and I was there for about an hour, hour and a half. And then all of a sudden the Lord smote my heart and said, you fool, you allowed the devil to trick you. And all of a sudden I looked at that lady, I said, well, you've done a good job tying me up here because you ain't going to get saved. 
Since you don't want to receive the gospel, I'm kicking the dust off my feet. I'm going to the next house, and I'm going to talk to somebody who will let me open the door of salvation to them. We have the key of proclaiming and preaching the word of God. We have the key of evangelism. Jesus told his disciples after he rose out of the grave to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. He told them that they were to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He told them they were to teach them everything, all things that he had taught them. I mean, we have a key of doctrine and preaching and evangelism and the key of discipline. And in Matthew chapter 18, Paul, I mean, the Lord gives us instruction in reference to how you deal with problems in the church. You say, well, you don't have a right to deal with that in my life. Oh, yes, I do. You know, somebody's, I'm not right with God. Somebody doesn't have the right to come to me. Oh, yes, they do. They have every right. As a Christian brother, as a Christian sister in the Lord, we have every right to confront someone who is wayward and away from God. How do, how do we have that right? Because God gave the keys to the church. He gave it to the leaders to be able to correct the problems and the errors in the body of Christ. Not only do we have the key of discipline, but we have the key of restoration. Paul said in, in uh, Galatians chapter 6, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And then he said, Bear ye one another's burdens. We are obligated. We are responsible, not just to hold to our doctrine and preach the word of God and evangelize the lost and discipline, discipline the wayward, but we are obligated to bring restoration to a fallen brother or sister in Christ. We have no right to sit back and say, well, I knew they wouldn't last long. No, you have an obligation. You have the key to heaven to go and bring that person's heart back to God. So we have the present reality. Then the last thought is this. There's complete victory. And it's a matter of the key. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shalt be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice, first of all, the reality of freedom. I'm thankful that if the Son of God will let you, set you free, you shall be free indeed. I'm thankful this morning that there is complete deliverance and victory in Christ Jesus. Mark chapter 5 and verse 28, uh, in reference to the woman who had the issue of blood, she said, For she said, if I, may but, uh, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And then verse 29 says, And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. I just know this. There are opportunities for God to get victory, complete victory, over and over again. In Mark chapter 6, in verse 56, it says, And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that he might touch if it were but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. 
When we talk about the keys to heaven, you realize this morning that you have the opportunity to make someone whole. Man is not whole. He is not complete without Jesus Christ. He, he is just a shell of an individual with no worth and no value, no eternal life, no hope uh, in his soul because he is without Jesus Christ. The keys that God has given us are the keys of opportunity for somebody to have complete victory. I get fed up with this present day way of preaching that, oh, you can get saved, but when you get saved, you just continue on your sin. You can live however you want now, because God is, God is a gracious God. No, when he saves us, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, old things have become new. I'm glad I, I, go, I go to the doctor. When I go to the doctor, they always ask you, do you smoke? I put down there, no, I don't smoke. Do you ever smoke? I told the doctor the other day, I said, yeah, I smoke. You smoke three packs of cigarettes. He almost fainted. He f almost fainted. He looked at me, he said, three packs of cigarettes a day? I said, that's exactly right. I said, but I got saved. And when I got saved, God delivered me from it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. God sets us free. You have the key. You have the way for someone to be set free. Why won't you unlock the door? Why won't you open the way for them to come to Christ? There's complete victory in faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a reality of freedom. There's the change of freedom. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 18 says, Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Glory to God. I tried to be good. I tried to be righteous without Christ. Could never do it. But when I got saved, hallelujah, set me free from the bondage of my sin. The chains were broken. Amen. And when the chains were broken, I was able to live in righteousness. Verse 22 of uh, Romans 6 says, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. The change of freedom is just simply this. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you become the servant of righteousness that is based on the reality that you're the servant of the living God and you not just have fruit of ho holiness, but you have the hope of everlasting life, change of freedom. I'm glad that I'm free. I'm free from all of my sin. I'm free from the power of it. I'm free from the presence of it. I'm free from the condemnation of it. I'm free from all that sin is. I'm preaching tonight on the weight of sin. Glory to God. You need to be here for it. It's going to be a good one. change of freedom. Why do we live a defeated Christian life when God has set us free? Why do we communicate a life that is corrupted when God wants to make all things new? And so there's complete victory. Why? Because you have the keys. And then there's a future, the future of freedom. I like what 1 Chronicles chapter 29, 11 says. I think I put that on the screen. Did I put that on there? I didn't. Well, I meant to. Listen up. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, 
and thou art exalted as head above all. Complete victory. Turn the key. Turn the key. People can have a complete victory. I, I heard a statistic this morning and uh, about uh, drug addiction in America, how devastating it is. The numbers, I forget what the numbers were, the numbers they said of people who are on drugs. I thought, no wonder our country's gone mad. I saw the news clip I saw about what happened out in El, pa El Paso, Texas. People are whacked. They're whacked out. You know what the problem is? The key to heaven hasn't turned to unleash them. The key to heaven hasn't changed their heart or their life. The key to heaven hasn't been exercised by believers in Christ. And as a result of it, people are living bound and defeated in the sin that corrupts this world. And yet Jesus died for them that they might be saved. I'm just saying this, turn the key. Oh, God, help us to turn the key so somebody will be saved. You say, I'm struggling in my life. I'm going to tell you, there's victory through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no need for you to be defeated. There's no need for you not to have hope. There's no need for you to live a life of despair. There's no need for you to be in discouraged and sorrowing. Wait a minute. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Therefore, I'll be glad. Amen. I'm so glad that Jesus rescued me. Amen. Turn the key. Turn the key. Jesus said, I'll give you, I will give you unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We can't complain about people being caught up in the bondage of sin if we don't unlock the door of victory. We have the message of hope. We have the way of salvation. All we got to do is open the door. Unlock the key. Amen. Let's bow for prayer. My Father, I thank you. You're so gracious to us. I'm thankful that someone opened the door to heaven for me so I could be saved. I'm thankful, Lord, for many, many people you've allowed me to experience opening the door of, to heaven for them. I'm thankful, Lord, that we can be a church, a body of Christ that has on our hearts a desire to open the door to heaven for multitudes of people. I pray, Lord, if there's somebody here this morning who's not saved, they've never been born again, they know in their heart, I don't know it, but they know it. The Spirit of God knows it. Holy Spirit, will you bring conviction and draw them unto Jesus this morning that they might come and be saved. And we'll thank you. We'll praise you, Lord. We'll seize the opportunity to unlock the door to heaven that they might be able to trust Christ as their Savior. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's